This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Uh, hey there, Knicks fans. Dude, I can't even. Do- <laughs> this, is, this is too much. Uh, how you doing? Um, it is your boy, John of the Macri, with you um, for another episode of uh, Quarantine at Home, uh, guest starring Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, how are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing all right. <laughs> so a little backstory. So we let's let's set this up properly. We. I, I as I usually do, I texted Jeremy. What did I text you yesterday? Saturday. It's it's Sunday at at five forty right now. I texted you yesterday with some ideas for what to talk about on the pod, and we agreed we would we would discuss my little off season plan that I had written for si dot com, um, which included some discussion of um trades and the different and I what I wrote like a paragraph on it, right? Not even maybe a line. <laughs> so, something like that and i and so we we got on here 40 minutes ago now and there was we had there was a discrepancy which we'll we'll get into on the podcast um that in in terms of like the trade rules and like salary matching with with players that we we have just spent the past 40 minutes hashing out and trying to get to the bottom of so lest anyone think that we just do this for a live audience. No, no, no. Jeremy and I have, have just been on the phone for the last 40 minutes trying to get to the bottom of something that is probably, I mean, I think it's probably, it was probably simpler than we made it out to be. Right. Probably. And the best part is that I feel like the Knicks won't do it anyway. So <laughs> no, the, no, the conversation will be completely <laughs> moot, but that's okay. No, they're not going to take advantage of this, of this. Um, Although, and and here's the best part. We're still not 100% sure that we're right, but based on the, based on the verbiage that is in Larry Kuhn's uh, salary cap, FA, CBA uh, salary cap FAQ, we're, we're like 93% sure that we're right, but we'll, we'll get to that later. All right. Um, Jeremy, how, are you doing okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even ask you that. Days uh, turn into weeks. Weeks probably turn into months. But everything's good. You probably. Yeah. No. I'm. Um. I'm okay. Um. I would. I would. Bullshit about how uh, things have been going in in quarantine in the Macri household, but we're we're over time as it is. So let's let's get right to it. Um. So I wrote a thing. Um. This weekend, on Friday actually, and and it went up on Saturday. Um. It basically giving one possible Knicks offseason. I called it the perfect Knicks offseason draft and develop edition for um, SI.com. 
um, and and I laid out some uh, different steps that the Knicks could take to basically double down on the route that. Well, actually, let's before we actually get to the steps. I my my assumption, and my assumptions are often wrong, is that most Knicks fans would would want them to take the route that we're going to talk about. And yet, as I say that, I do you think that that's true, or do you think that, as we've talked about sometimes on this pod, we are um, uh, tainted by the discourse on Nick's Twitter, and that um, actually, no, the vast majority of of Nick fans don't want to watch a bunch of kids like work out their problems on the court uh, for the next uh, the next season. Yeah, I would say the majority of Nick's Twitter fans probably feel this way. But um, Facebook and Instagram are their own avenues of hell. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, you see things. And again, if, if I don't mean to criticize for those of you who are on Nick's Twitter and listening to this and agree with this philosophy, but something about like seeing Mark Jackson, that's very prevalent in a lot of the Facebook groups and Instagram gr- groups um, or kind of like doing anything to find that that um, elusive point guard, no matter how old, how injury prone, how um, how lack of cohesive he can be to a system, you know, that sort of thing where uh, I certainly disagree with that philosophy. So it, it's um, but I, I would say the majority of Nick's Twitter. Sure. Or, or even simpler than that, like, you know, the first the first thing on my list was trade Julius Randall. And I wonder, like, what percentage of people who consider themselves Nick fans would be like, why the hell would you trade away the guy that was your leading scorer last year? Yeah. Like, and I'm with you on I mean, I'm totally yeah. with you on that. Uh, and I think you phrased it very well, basically saying, you know, like, look, it's it's not that he's necessarily a bad player. He adds value. It's just the value he's adding to this current team is not as much as we would hope or like it to be. And that's probably not going to change within one season. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to write a little bit more about this for the, the newsletter that's going to come out on Monday. Um, and I, I think. You know, we we get into these debates on Twitter sometimes, or I try not to get into them, but I, I get brought into them um, unwittingly um, about like, you know, it, it seems like there's a faction of people that like that, you know, they they want bucket getters, right? And anyone who doesn't like bucket getters um, is an idiot. And um, you know, us us Frank fans over here are, are captains of the idiots, um, you know, and. I, I think that there's kind of this like it's a black and white thing, and and Julius, you know, for for lack of a better term, he's a bucket getter. He's a guy that get you a bucket. Um, you know, even putting aside that fact that he doesn't do it like as efficiently as you want, um, like you need guys like Julius Randle to win games. It's just that the the team that would benefit from his particular brand of bucket getting, it, it does not as you stated, it does not seem to be the Knicks right now. Um, so let alone at that salary. Yeah. And even, but you know what, honestly, like to me, the salary is secondary because if you're a team that like looks at Julius Randall and, and looks at what he does and you're like, okay, that guy has a $10 million value to us. We could get him right now for $18 million. If you, if you're like, I don't know, a team like Portland and you felt like Julius Randall was, was like a piece that's going to put you over the top. I'm not saying this is true, but was going to put you potentially into the conference finals next year. Right. Like you're, I don't think you'd care that he's well, making you, too much money, but there is a huge difference between 10 and 18. I mean, sure. that's, uh, no, that's basically I'm, yes. saying it's twice 
twice what he's earning is what we're getting. And yeah, I, we're also not talking about three or four guaranteed years here, which I think is more, right. it, it, you know, like uh, what's his face always says, it's years, not dollars that matter more. Yes. Yeah. But I, I mean, granted, yes, for teams that make sense, uh, Portland certainly crossed my mind. Um, I think Phoenix could be a very interesting choice depending on what they feel about Kaminsky and Sarich. Um, and then there's other places like who knows what Minnesota is going to do if they, maybe they go with a Kong Wu in the draft, but maybe they also, they have enough outgoing salary with James Johnson, as you, uh, pointed out in another piece. Um, and then there was one other team that, that was in the West that kind of just makes sense in order for maybe I'm blanking on what it was, but, but just like the, king, the Kings are always kings. looming. That's what, yeah. yeah um, so it's really just a matter of the trade's not going to be pretty, but there are enough salaries out there, and and we may feel this way about Julius Randle, but there are going to be other teams that say, look, it's it's at worst a year, um, at best it's two years. Uh, we can't spend anything now, so yes, is he an upgrade over maybe the players they have currently on the roster? That's that's going to be the key thing. Yeah, and I think you know we've I think I've written about it twice since the start of the season. We've we've had a at least one podcast about the idea of trading Julius Randle. I think the key thing here is that we, I think the organization needs to get to the place where it's like, it's not about getting value back for Julius Randle. I think it's more, it's now at the place where it's like, you know, and this is harsh, but, and you tell me if it's too harsh, they just need to get the guy off the team. And I'll go back to Portland, right? For an example, like Portland um, took on uh, Trevor Ariza, right? Trevor Ariza is signed for $12.8 million next year. Um, a, let me go refer back to the, the salary matching rules that we we had up. Um, so <laughs> what does is, what is, uh, Randall make next year? Is it 18.9, I think? Yes. Okay. So uh, Trevor Ariza and... I, it, like I don't know, uh, a minimum salary player for the for the Blazers um, would like that that trade would work um, under under the salary cap, um, and or you could do something with a Rodney Hood situation yeah, if necessary right. because he's out for the year. You're taking a con. You're taking six million dollars off of their book. Yeah, whatever. Listen, what whatever, whatever the, the the point is, that's. Like we, when we had these conversations in the past, it was always like, oh, could we get this team maybe to throw in a pick or can we, you know, could we get this young player or something? Like I'm, I'm past that point. And my gut feeling actually is that the Knicks are past that point because we heard Ian Begley, um, double down. He had said this, I think a week or two ago. He said it again a few days ago, um, that people are, what was the word he used? Enamored with Christian Wood. Um, to get Christian Wood here, you're paying Christian Wood. 12, 13 million dollars a year. You're giving him three guaranteed years at least. Um, you're not like he's a four. You're not paying him that money to to come off the bench. Um, so I, I have an issue as well, just for what it's worth, getting Julius Randle off the team to sign Christian Wood. It's not that Christian Wood's a bad player. Um, it just very much goes back to why are you necess- Why are you potentially overpaying for a four who who isn't going to be some sort of um, who's not going to have as high of a ceiling as you want. So let's, let's actually talk about that for a second, because I, so this is a, a, the, the gist of the column that I wrote is that there's going to be other versions of this column coming. 
And another one of the versions of this column is going to basically involve them um, signing not low-level free agents, but like, you know, guys like Christian Wood. I mean, it, I my, my guess, I haven't written it yet, but it would be something like Christian Wood, Fred Van Fleet, and like Joe Harris. Basically, spend a whole bunch of money in free agency on helpful players, guys that have proven themselves to be, you know, good fits for modern NBA teams. Like we don't know if Christian Wood is a winning player, but we know he could hit close to 40% from deep and play the four and like move a little bit with the ball um, and play a little bit of defense. Like he's a, he's a theoretically a useful player. You're, are you basically like under no circumstances? Do we go that route? Or are you like, let's let me pick and choose my, my poison here. <sighs> It's something I definitely want to talk about a little bit later in the podcast because it's more to unwrap from there. But I think that the the way that the Knicks could look at this is, yes, maybe a Christian Wood could be an up, upgrade over what you have. Uh, there's certainly that potential and that possibility. Uh, it's just a matter of how high up you go. Um, like th- there, are, there are other players that you talk about, uh, like Joe Harris. Let's, let's say Joe Harris, for example. Sure. Uh, and for those of you listening at home, John and I didn't confer about what our ideas are. No, we did not. This is the first time we're talking about this. So Joe Harris is one other player that I was thinking of who, like, you know, he would be great to play off of RJ. Uh, There's some versatility there. spaces the floor spectacularly. Uh, He would be a very nice addition. Uh, And for those of you who maybe aren't able to visualize or just need a a refresher of some sort, basically the Knicks could take on um, essentially two to three salary dumps and still have almost an ungodly amount left over. And this is if the salary cap goes down uh, based on what we think might happen. If the salary cap, and we're going to get into what those salary dumps might be later in the, in the podcast. Right. Uh, But yeah, like even if the salary stayed at one Oh nine and there's a chance that it could based on what Bobby Mark said, the the reality is it's probably going to go down because um, I want to say it was what Albert Ahmed Namid. Yeah. Did you read that whole thread? I, yes. Essentially, uh, I kind of set my projections at around 106 million because that's what it sounds like his uh, best case scenario in a worst case scenario situation is. Yeah. Um, so the bottom line being, you have a lot of money for some sort of salary dumps and to be able to pay someone like Joe Harris. The question is, in my mind, not money; it's the years and it's how comfortable is this team building a roster out that maybe has a lower ceiling and a higher floor. Uh, but again, that's something that I'd love to discuss a little bit later Fine, in the conversation because yeah. we'll we'll certainly get to it. Let's end with that. So, but more for all intents and purposes, you're on board with my uh, move number one, which is essentially just get Randall off the team. It's the best for all parties involved. Okay. So, yeah, I'm I'm glad we're on the same page. Okay, uh, move number two. I I basically say move on from both Alfred Payton and Dennis Smith Jr. and and here's my logic as. Like, I'm sure there were some people who read this and were like, oh, of course he wants to move on from the two guys that are not named Frank Nilakina. <laughs> no, because actually later in the column, I, I, when I give a proposed like starting five and like five off the bench, I'm, I don't think, and I'll say it very clearly right now, I don't think the Knicks could go into next season and pencil in, uh, Frank Nilakina as their starting point guard. I just, I don't think it's responsible. I may believe in the kid more than his, his own mom believes in him. He hasn't shown enough on the court. For you to, I, I hate to put it this way, but like potentially waste an entire additional year of 
developing young players with a point guard who, you know, every team is going to go under a pick on um, at the, at the three point line. And, and that's like, even if he comes out and he starts hitting shots, like that's still, it's, it's not going to resemble. And that's what the Knicks need to get to is even if it's not with guys who are good yet, like they need to get to a point where they are putting guys like RJ Barrett, like Mitchell Robinson in situations like, okay, this is the type of offense that you will play in for the next 10 to 15 years of your career. And we didn't see that this year because modern NBA offenses don't start point guards who can't shoot and don't, you know, start multiple guys who who can't space the floor. So the reason I want to get rid of both of them is I feel like you need to bring in a shooting point guard, um, whether it's through the draft or free agency, and we could get to that. Um and if you're going to bring someone in and you're going to keep Frank, which I, I do think they should because I think he showed enough. My other point basically is that three's a crowd. And this season, it I did not feel it was tenable for anybody involved to basically have three point guards who all deserved or all felt that they deserved time. So that's why my logic is basically get rid of them both. Peyton, worst comes to worst, you just you non-guarantee his deal next year. You, you only owe him the $1 million. Dennis Smith Jr., I still think he'll have value, if nothing else, as a trade sweetener. I like, you know, I, I think some team out there or maybe a couple teams out there would look at him and be like, yeah, you know what? Sure. Why not? Let's take a chance. Um, where do you come down on this? I'm on both. Uh, I agree. I think moving on from Alfred Payton is a very easy decision at Worst, all you really have to do is decline his option uh, or just make his non-guaranteed contract non-guaranteed. He walks away with a million dollars guaranteed. You walk away with some more cap space. doesn't really matter based on the fact of how much the Knicks have. But, you know, we talk about maybe – I feel like it, the conversation, especially with Frank, has been uh, it is good to have a veteran ball handler either alongside him or, um, you know, balancing minutes in an adequate way. The Knicks issues have been finding the right one and finding the right distribution of playing time. Because it has always seemed like it's going to be players who maybe should not be having this type of role. You know, you think of maybe like an Alfred Payton situation or you think of uh, Jarrett Jack, which, again, Frank was also a rookie then. So it's a little bit harder to kind of do. But he was, he kept starting for a while. But yep. then they also brought in Ramon Sessions. Uh, you look at Emmanuel Moutier and Dennis Jr., who are at least younger options. But it's just the kind of thing where um, if this pick is to be a ball handler, I would love to see them at least go into training camp vying for who that person is who's going to start. Uh, I don't expect Frank to do it, to start. Um, and I think you could honestly make an argument, as you were saying, that he should not be the starter. And I, I no, he shouldn't totally be. Agree with that. Yeah, I, I think that if you're starting Frank, especially right now, then you're looking at a, a, a mediocre team. Um, but again, that's not to say that his – what he can do can't help the team. It's just the role might be too big for him, and that's totally fine. Uh, with Dennis Smith Jr., you know, it's, it's tough in that he just – it seemed like there was never really a clear-cut role for him or he was injured or, as you've said before, and I'm, I'm completely with you on this, uh, it seemed like he went in with this expectation of I'm going to be able to start. They bring in Alfred Payton. Things get a little hairy, and then, of course, you hear the report of Peyton essentially having the starting job. Yes, three is a crowd. I think even with – if we're to assume that one of the players – if the if one of the two first-round picks is some sort of ball handler, 
or even, I mean, you could even say the Hornets pick too. If any of those three is a, is a ball handler who can start right away, then having two of the three guards, I guess lead guards on the team currently, uh, you can get rid of them and you can just keep one of them. And, you know, it's, it's at that point where how much does Alfred Payton really help you? And how much does Dennis Virginia really help you? How much does Frank Neil Keener really help you? And the, the, just in terms of what they're able to do, and without kind of like st- pad stat- static, padding their stats or whatever you want to call it, um, Frank is certainly one of the easiest options there. And and I should be clear, of the three players, you know, and again, this is painful for me to say because I love Frank. Alfred Payton was the the most helpful of the three this season. Like, yes, Frank plays incredible defense, and he's unselfish, and he's all of the things that we love Frank for. I don't need to go through the list for people who listen to this podcast regularly. Alfred Payton helped them generate offense at a at a like at a, at the very least at an average rate, and that's valuable. Like that has immense value. The reason I'm suggesting, and I think you're suggesting as well, to to get rid of him is because there's no there's no version of an NBA team that is winning. Like again, you're you're set, you. This is not about this season or next season. It is about the point when the Knicks will actually be good, which will be a little ways down the line. And they're not like, why would you want to? set yourself up in a model where it's like, all right, well, we have to figure out how to play offense with a guy who can't shoot. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's, it's an unnecessary investment, I guess, in time, which, which leads us to point number three um, for me, which is that they have to draft a point guard. The biggest pushback I got, I think for most people who read this was that I, I said here that that point guard did not necessarily need to come with their first pick. Um, despite the fact that LaMelo Ball, Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, and Cole Anthony, I, I think it's fair to say one of those four will be available when the Knicks pick, even if they drop um, to uh, eighth or even ninth, I would guess one of them will be there. Um, to me, here's my logic and why, and, and I, I almost, I put LaMelo Ball aside because I think there's enough there that you could draft him and be like, okay, this is our point guard for the next 50 or whatever, 10, 15 years. Everybody else, there's enough questions about that for me, at least I'm like, it, well, if you're not getting the guy for the next 10 years, like the guy that you know is the guy, just draft best player available with your first pick and then just make sure you end up with a point guard who could shoot somewhere in the draft. So what do you, what do you think about that one? Totally. I think the first pick that the Knicks have should definitely be best player available. Of course, you do need to consider other factors with that as well. But the likelihood is that one of those point guards will be the best player available. And if he isn't, um, he being any of those point guards, then that's a different situation to kind of evaluate. But I think it's I think we're seeing a possibility where, as you're saying, yeah, at least one of the four will be available. Um, It's just a matter of maybe the Knicks look at it and say, okay, well, if we can find similar talent elsewhere in the draft, maybe we don't have to pick that player. Like, um, uh, was it Kira? Yes, Kira, Kira Lewis. Lewis Jr. Right. So I know Spencer, for example, has Kira Lewis Jr. and Cole Anthony rated similarly. If you're looking in a situation where maybe if you can drop a little bit to get the other, if you're already in that range, then you could do that. Uh, but yes, I'm, I'm with you that the reality is it will probably be a point guard. 
And again, as long as that player is the best player available on the board, I'm very much comfortable with that. Um, yeah, no, so am I. And, and the funny thing is like, I'm not an Anthony, like the two, the guys who are considered like the two best, like quote unquote talents in this draft, I guess maybe aside from ball are Anthony Edwards and uh, James Wiseman. And I, I don't want either of those guys, particularly I Edwards. I'm just a little, little, little scared about what it would be like to bring that guy into a system that has not um, proven its ability to develop players. Um, with some of the question marks surrounding his game. And then Wiseman, I mean, I just, you know, we have Mitch already, which is why I'm I'm also kind of uncertain on Okongwu. But like, you know, a guy like Denny, um, you know, you could run your offense through Denny a little bit. And the, you, I, we've seen you could run your offense through RJ a little bit. So like, I could see a situation where next year, like, so what that your starting point guard isn't really the guy that you run the offense through, quote unquote, if you have two other guys who are, you know, very high lottery draft picks that you could kind of get those reps in in the meantime. And then again, you, you know, maybe you get your point guard of the future um, next summer or whatever. All right. Um, speaking of draft night, um, move number four for me is, <laughs> and this is, I think we have to get into um, the conversation we were having before the, the pot. Uh, swap out some veterans for picks. Um. Okay, so let's let's my my premise basically is that the Knicks could potentially use their non guaranteed salaries, which are for let's just go through the guys right now, actually. Or do you want to go through them real quick? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I'll make sure. Tell me if I miss anybody. Uh, Bobby Portis. He, but he's the only that's one. That's a team option. So that's a team option. That's what it's. Yeah, that's what it's been reported. I, I don't know. I still, whatever. Yeah, that's probably a team option. Taj Gibson. It's a, it's a team option because he was a restricted free agent, and so it had ah, to be. That's right. Good call. At least two years. At, at least two years. Very good. Um, there are so you can't trade this. This I we're certain about, right? You can't trade a team option guy going into the option year without guaranteeing the option first. Correct. So Bobby Portis, whatever trade value he has would be a team basically wanting $15.7 million worth of Bobby Portis, which, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't think so. Um, Other guys, different story. Taj Gibson, Wayne Ellington, Alfred Payton, and Reggie Bullock. Um, Reggie Bullock's a little bit of a different story because it's only $4 million or, or 4.2 next year. All of those guys have $1 million, $1 million guarantees. So Wayne Ellington and Alfred Payton are on the books for $8 million next season, $1 million of which is guaranteed. Taj Gibson, $9.45 million. Based on the conversation and the research that we did before coming on to this podcast, here's what we seem to agree upon. And Jeremy, fill in any blanks that I leave out. Um the value of those contracts in the trade that so let's you want to use the Feliciano example for instance yes okay so uh, Cristiano Feliciano is a uh, Christian Feliciano what the hell his name is a backup center on the Bulls he sucks he's making seven point five million dollars so Wayne Ellington and Alfred Payton are both on the books for eight million dollars for next season with one million dollars guaranteed 
you would think that you could just do a straight up trade, eight million for seven point five. It falls within the matching rules, um, which we're, we'll get into probably. That is not how it works because the value, as best as we could tell, of the outgoing contract for the Knicks is the value of the guarantee. So that means for the Bulls accounting purposes and for the Knicks accounting purposes, Alfred Payton going out or Wayne Ellington going out or Taj Gibson going out only counts as $1 million. Here's where that matters. It doesn't matter for the Bulls, right? Because the Bulls are sending out whatever they're sending out. They're bringing in only a million dollars. That's fine. That's not a big deal. What it does matter for is the Knicks. Because if you're the Knicks, according to the CBA rules, if you're um, a team that is over the cap, which they are, but you're a non-taxpaying team, which they are, and you're trading out a salary that's between $6.5 and $19.6 million, the out the maximum incoming salary you could take is the value of the outgoing salary, which again here is only a million bucks plus five million. So that means essentially any of those contracts that get sent out in a trade, the most the Knicks could take back in the trade, if it's just a one for one deal, is six million bucks. Which then gets us into okay, how can we still have those trade chips be useful. And this is where I'm going to bring Dennis Smith Jr. back into the equation, because if you have Dennis Smith Jr. plus, um, again, Alfred Payton or Taj Gibson or Wayne Ellington, then that brings a lot more salaries on the table because what is Dennis Smith Jr. making next year? He's making, um, or actually he would count, it would be. He's making close to six. He's making close to six for next year. Um, which is what, but no, it the the value because It'd again be this year's value it would be this yeah. year's value so it's it's four point four million so four point four plus one five point four plus an additional um, five so then you're talking about all right you could start bringing back players upwards of over ten million dollars and that's it gets us into some interesting more interesting territory and yeah um, we're ninety three percent certain about this 93 93.5 percent something along those lines yeah um what did you so let's let's start <laughs> i i went off on that tangent and i i skipped over the original like premise of it what do you think about the idea of just trying to acquire another pick or two in this draft basically love it i'd prefer the you know i prefer 2021 of course but you're still going to find good talent maybe it's just not star talent so yeah if if you could turn any of these players that you don't see foresee of uh, being on the team moving forward and get them for something of value, then do it. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a little trickier because of the way that the salary matching rules work with the non-guaranteed contracts to actually make something like this happen. Um, you know, uh, Jeremy Lamb is a guy that I would look at. He was a, I mentioned him in a column on um, on Friday. He, his salary, I think, is at $10.5 million, and he tore his ACL in February. So, like, that's a trade that the Knicks might be able to make with the Pacers where it's, like, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. And uh, I have no idea if the Pacers would do this, but, like, um. Dennis Smith Jr. and 
uh, one of the Knicks non-guaranteed salaries for um, Jeremy Lamb and like a second round pick. Like that's something that I would, I don't know, I'd think about at the very least. Um, but we'll see if they, we'll see if they do this. Um, okay. Next up was the coach. Oh, I, I can't imagine you'll have an issue with this. Move number five, hire Kenny Atkinson. What do you think about that? Love it. Yeah. Fully on board? I am. You know, I mean, he he's really the only one in my mind who, well, you could say Thibodeau as well, in terms of coaching recently and having some sort of success. But, you know, it's just it's a sort of thing where you wonder if Thibodeau is perhaps out of touch. Um, I've said in the past, I don't think it's nearly as bad as people think it is, but that's not to say he would be my number one choice. Kenny Atkinson obviously would. Again, for also people who really want to see some sort of um, developed point guard, there's really, in my mind, no better player or no better coach to do that on the free agent market than Kenny Atkinson. And just having him be able to work with this year's pick, who we're assuming is that point guard, having him work with Frank or whatever point guard is really left, any sort of situation where he's able to mold ball handlers, in my mind, is a perfect scenario. I would love him to, to coach the Knicks, and hopefully he comes back to MSG. Yeah, um, and again, just like trading Randall, just like acquiring an extra pick, maybe more than one pick, uh, just like you know getting Peyton off the team, I, I just, this, to me, it's so obvious that next year should be all about developing. Because, again, and, and I think this is where people get mixed up. And we've, again, we've had versions of this conversation on this podcast in the past where it's like, well, n- no, you don't have your Doncic or your, I'm trying to, like, Trey Young or your Jason Tatum. But, like, you don't have the guy here yet. But... That doesn't mean that you can't go all in on the development of the guys that are here right now. Because I think, like, say what you want about R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. To me, they cross the threshold of like, yeah, these guys are worth worth investing time and resources in at this point. Like, these could be two starters on a very, very, very good team. Whether they're the second and third best starters or the third and fourth best starters. Like, whatever. That's semantics. But, you know, that's... Do you agree with like that premise, I guess, would be the best way to ask the question? I do. Yeah, it's really a matter of what your ceiling is at that standpoint. I'm not confident to say that that duo of RJ and Mitch is anything more than, you know, maybe a, eventually a second round exit with those two guys and other pieces around them that bring out the best what, of them. Oh, you mean without like a, a top banana? Right. But, yeah, but, no, but I know you're not disagreeing with that. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't disagree. With there's no need for that. Um, but yeah, I agree that those those are at least pieces to have and you just kind of continue building from there and you hope obviously that it, it keeps getting better. Yeah. Now, here's where I think we're going to disagree. My bonus move, which I feel somewhat strongly about, but I, I think whether it's whether we're talking about this player or a Christian Wood or a Joe Harris, it's the concept of this. So my bonus move is to bring back Danilo Gallinari um, and I think if you gave him two guaranteed years at enough money, um, he would come back. Um, and my thinking is this, because this is where I think it's a, it's a more nuanced discussion because on the surface, it's like, 
oh, that's the same stupid shit that they did this year. They're trying to win games in a season where winning games should not be the priority. To me, I see it a little differently. I just, there are some players that I think, you know, make the development of the guys around them easier. And it's a similar conversation to why I want Peyton off the team. It's because, you you know, you got to get a point guard in there playing 25, 30 minutes a night who can be a three-point threat. Same thing for for a reason for getting Gallo back in is because you need a four who could stretch the four a little bit more. Um, so you could open up room for like Mitchell Robinson and RJ Barrett to do some stuff and like, you know, give Mitchell Robinson an opportunity to like play on the short roll a few times a game and see what he could do without the entire defense, like crowding around him or catch some more lobs or RJ Barrett have, you know, some more pick and roll opportunities where he's a little space to work. That's my logic. Um, I have a feeling you are going to disagree. Well, I just don't see Gallinari saying I want to go to the Knicks for really the same amount as a team that the Heat would offer, for example, especially if it's years. Um, well, could, but could we say the Heat, he would be a member of the Heat right now if I th- I'm fairly certain based on all the reporting that was done at the time, if he was willing to accept like going there without a contract extension. Potentially, but I think he was also. Or sorry, uh, um, a more than one year contract extension. Possibly that that I'm not fully certain of. Um, my my think? recollection, and it, I could be wrong, was that basically the deal was done, and Gallo would would was like okay with it if he could sign a, a two guaranteed years. So next season and the season after that, and the Heat were not willing to compromise their 2021 cap space nor by the way nor should they because they will probably be a prime destination for a Giannis or a Kawhi Leonard I think it and if you give Daniel Gallinari a chance to play back in New York and give him two fully guaranteed years at I don't know two years 36 million dollars I think he's taking that money or do you not want to give him that well, so just uh, first off, an article I found said that uh, one big thing was the Heat and Thunder couldn't agree on draft pick compensation. All right, that's possible. And the other is um, they couldn't agree to contract terms, I think, because of the fact that there just wasn't enough time. And they figured, why rush into something that one side might regret? That's or so also possible. Felt, right. Um, but you were saying, I'm sorry, you said two years and how much? Uh, two for 30 Two, two for thirty-four, two for thirty-six. You know, something, something in that range. But I think he would make more than that. I don't know who's giving him that money. With the, well, I, I'm saying a team, a team hypothetically like the Heat. If now they might say, um, we understand that Gallinari is not the difference between where we're at now and a championship, but you're at least in their minds, you're building, and you can always create some more money. Um, to to get some you know like if you wanted to go after someone like Giannis you could uh, that's probably where their thinking is at in terms of adding shooting adding someone who can at least handle the ball a little bit more uh, who's a really good who can pass well something in that in that vein where they're at least getting him on the books and that it seems to me that's a heat model like we'll figure out the rest later but this is the best move for us now and sometimes it actually does pay off for them well I'd let, than other teams certainly fine let me ask you this three years forty five fully guaranteed. Would you do it? If I'm the Knicks? Yes. 
I, I don't think I would. I don't look at this as a Paul Millsap nugget situation. Who, by the way, was he, he was $30 million a year, a bit more, but he's also was a much better player than Gallo is at this. Well, eh, no, he was, no, he was, he was very good. He was coming off like an all-star year a year before. I, and it's not because Gallo can't add talent. It's because I'm still concerned as to what you're doing with that, with the team. Yes, he, he certainly plays a role. No doubt. Um, and he, he'll help immensely by being that type of four that, that the team would need. But I just, I'm reluctant to, to committing that to him. And I understand that, you know, fans could say, well, what else are you going to spend it on? And this is kind of where I go with Christian Wood and these other players. Like, look, I, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here, but the whole cap crashing down will affect what Anthony Davis's decision likely is. And you're looking at a completely different situation now of 2020 and 2021, where if he wins a championship with the Lakers and then he says, okay, well, my option is I could return to the Lakers and play with a 37 year old LeBron James, or I could go elsewhere. And I feel, I don't feel like I owe the city anything because I already helped bring a championship there. Then what is really keeping him there? What, what, what are the ties that, that help him stay? I- and that, that's, that's my big thing. It's No, I, hear, I don't think you take crazy bills. Right. And, and, you know, we just went through this, right? We just went the whole thing of, uh, we know we're going to get Kevin Durant. We know we're going to get another Max player, whoever he wants to bring with him. And it obviously did not wind up happening for several I, reasons. Um, but with this, it's, it's the sort of thing where I look at the team, I look at the role that World Wide West is playing, that he's not with the team, that he's instead on the outside and kind of helping out that way. And it's hard for me to think that there's any situation where they don't go star hunting in one way or another. And so if that's the case, and if you can use this summer as an advantage of saying, look, we're not going to be a great team. We can be we can be around the pace where we're at now. We can hope for lottery luck. We can acquire some draft picks. We can develop our young players to the best of their abilities. And this is another reason why. I could absolutely see them going into this year's draft and finding players who can account, who can, who can try to play more off ball than on because they could, and try to add as much shooting as possible because obviously they would need to, but I could see them saying like, look in this dream scenario, which is our plan a not to say that there isn't a plan B, C, D, whatever. Yeah. I could absolutely see them saying what players would best fit around someone like a Giannis and AD duo. And even if you think that it's crazy and that the, the idea will never in a million years happen, I find it hard to believe that the Knicks front office doesn't think that it can. I, that, that, that they feel like it's still somewhat in the realm of a possibility. I'm, and that's I, the approach. No, but that's my point is I, I'm, it's a, I'm in a funny place when I, whenever I think about this. Because on one hand, I get your logic completely, which is that just because the thing didn't work once – doesn't mean you go 180 degrees in the opposite direction and say, oh, we're never going to value cap space again. That's stupid. That's not smart. At the same time, how much do you continue to allow this particular um, form of team building or idea of team building, which is to basically wait wait for the star to take your money um inform every single move that you make and the answer as with everything in sports and in life is it's in the gray right it's in the it's in the in between which is why like 
if some if you wanted to come back at me and be like, well, don't sign Gallo because once you sign Gallo to that money for three guaranteed years, his trade value is like nil, basically. Oh, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. Well, nil. no, but uh, yeah, but but, you know, but you're but, not dealing with more of a liability than what you had before. It's way more of a liability because you know what? If he in the second game of next year falls funny on on his ankle and like tweaks his hip, well, guess what? This guy has a little bit of a history with injuries, and like, yeah, there's a real possibility that this contract could be one of the ten worst deals in the league if you went three guaranteed years, which is why my original idea is two guaranteed. But put even put that aside for a second. You want to come back with me with like sign Christian Wood instead because if you get a guy like Christian Wood, I'm just using him as an example. Okay. If you get him at the right number, it at the very least, that's it's still kind of an asset, right? It's like okay. it is until it isn't. It's like with the Randall contract, right? You yeah, went into this year. First, of all, we we know that we didn't. You and I were not the biggest fans. We were not. But then we we kind of just we got accustomed to it. We we're like, all right, we we can get out of this. And I still believe that the Knicks can, but it's not as easy as we would hope <sighs> uh, because of external factors. And that's my concern with maybe signing a, a Ganari who has played in seventy games or more twice in his I want to say eleven or twelve year career. Um, Yes, maybe Christian Wood could could bring you something better. Maybe a team is interested in, in doing that and in acquiring him in some way. I still do think that there's a chance, probably a good chance, that he stays with the Pistons, but he's an unrestricted free agent, so he can do whatever he wants. As an aside, I also, I also report, think that, yeah. And there's also a report of how he's really upset that his name leaked because of the coronavirus positive testing and how he was not even able to tell his mom. His mom found out through Twitter. Really? Before she, he, I didn't he even read that. That's oh wow. Okay, so he's upset, and he's thinking, well, if it didn't come from me, then it must have come from the organization. So oh, that's that, interesting. That could potentially do something there. But with that said, it's really a matter of, uh, and I'm with you on this. I, I, one thing I've hated the last, I guess, few seasons is finding guys who are really just here for one year, and they're mercenaries, and they only look out for themselves. And you have players who are part of the core who really just don't gel with them because these other guys are only looking out for themselves. But the positive is that as the Knicks continue to build and as they add three picks this year, and hopefully they give Russ Dacus more time, the, the pool of players that are homegrown and seem to be here for the long run, at least that we would hope, grows, which means that yes. there are fewer players who care about their next paycheck the following year. Can so if you're able to find the right types of players and assign them roles that aren't lead roles and and uh, in the sense of like what we saw this year, which was saying your contracts will depend on the team's status, just instead saying, go out there, do what needs to be done, and we'll, we'll, well just reassess how about, later. How about, story. how about the guy that you don't need to give a fucking speech to? How about sign that guy? Uh, because yeah. How about sign the guy that has a career's worth of evidence that he just plays ball the way that you're supposed to play ball as opposed to the way that the team played this year? I hit, Look, the only – I th we, we actually, I think, agree as usual more than we disagree. My whole idea with Gallo is because I – if the idea is to do what you're saying and to really finally invest properly in building the thing – I hate to say this, but I don't know how a better way to say it. The right way, right? 
Um, I think there's a danger to basically become, uh, I'm trying to think of another example, but the first one that's popping into my head is like this year's Hawks, right? The Hawks essentially did what you're more or less proposing we do next year, which is like they went really full in on all the kids. Like the only vet that they had for all intents and purposes was Vince Carter, who played any cognizable role in their rotation. Otherwise, it was um, five players, 20, like two or 21 and under playing about 30 minutes a night when they were all healthy and they sucked. Um, They're worse than the Knicks. And that could kind of have its own detrimental effects. And that's my whole point in adding Gallo to, to this list and, and, and the concept of bringing in that type of guy is I just, I think there does need to be a certain modicum of like, okay, we know that if we go out and we play hard and we play the right way, there's a chance that we win some ball games, um, which I do think is valuable. And like, and I think they need to bring in someone to make sure that that happens. And I'm not saying it needs to be Gallo, like, but like, that's why, like, the idea of bringing in Fred Van Fleet, I still, there's a part of me, as insane as that maybe sounds to pay that guy, whatever, four years, a hundred million dollars, like, he's going to make sure you win some games and he's going to do it the right way, I think. So that's kind of where I stand on it. I, I understand your position. I just, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't want to be the Hawks for, for what it's worth. But I do also think that this year's Hawks team was severely impacted. Um, first and foremost, yes, they didn't. Have Collins was out. Yeah. Well, that's the second. Collins yeah. missed 25 games. That's and fair. that really hurt them. And then, of course, they added Capella and Capella has yet to play because of injury. So, you know, like if you were to look at a situation where you're the Knicks and you have all this cap space, like what if you brought in someone like Joe Harris? What if you traded Wayne Ellington um, and you maybe you know went to the Bucks and said, "Hey, how much is Ilyasova helping you? If you don't want him, we can do a trade one for one in the off season, and it can work flawlessly because of the salaries will match up." That sort of thing, where you can find replacement players. Um, maybe you don't find someone who has as high of a ceiling as Gallinari on the free agent market, but, but you doesn't can that, does that not have a value pool. to you? Does so that that that's my point? Is does that doesn't that higher ceiling having a guy and again Gallo is just the example I thought of because he was here once already and I, he plays a position of need assuming they can move Randall like getting the guy that's not just the Reggie Bullock Wayne Ellington replacement level guy it's a guy who's in between that level and like you know near near all-star level right but I would to say me, that there's a value in, in that Sure, of course. But I would say that what is the value long term? Uh, and then what exa- can't you find a player between um, that Reggie Block level and that Gallinari level? I, to me, it's like, at, like at that what point. if traded for Lowry Markin? And for example, if that's a situation that well, can that's, arise, that's right. different. But that's, but that's my point. And even then with Lowry, and this also plays into the whole 2021 cap space thing, his cap hold is going to be very high because of that. And I think that that might be a reason that would scare off the Knicks because. That that just simply impacts what's what that plan could be. But if you if you're able to find that type of player that you're saying, which is a veteran who is a starter level, 
then I think that it, the player can be found. It's just a matter of how much he'll cost you and what's the right salary. Situation. And I think, and I looking at this, in particular, this summer's free agent market, there are not a ton of guys that you could look at and be like, that guy is a starter level player on a good team or a team that's like better than media, like a, a better than bad team. It's like, like the list it dwindles, and that's why you know it's like it's it really it's like Joe why, Harris, Fred Van Fleet, Gallinari, and there's like maybe a couple other guys. But, but my, my question is, why does that have to be completely figured out? Not completely figured, out, but why does that necessarily have to be addressed to the capacity you're saying because, right now? Because I don't want to waste another year. That's, but it's not wasting another year per se. If you're fine, you you just you know what I'm saying. Like you said before, how you'd love to see this team kind of just like have the young kids lead it. And if they do well, great. If they don't, then Hey, that's another so, pick We're building for something. So yeah, I don't really understand. No, but that's, so that's you can't find someone in between that level of talent and the lower level of talent for a four and essentially hope to, to build on that. Because I think, I think there's a massive difference there's like okay, I, I I'm gonna try to verbalize this as best as I can, um, and it might come out like a bunch of gobbledygook, but fine. There is a sense when a team is going out and they've like they've they've figured something out, like the Grizzlies this year to me are a perfect example of a team that like they. They figured something out. Like if the, if the season ends up playing out, like with their schedule and what, like there's a very, very good chance that they finish the season at 35 and, you know, whatever, 47 or something around, around that. But, and yes, obviously they have two players who are better than anybody on the Knicks. And perhaps, perhaps what I want can't be achieved because the Knicks don't have that guy. But I guess. That's what I want is I want a year where they're going out there and they're at least every time they take the floor, it's like, all right, we know we're not there yet, right? We know we're not going to be one of the best teams in the year, but we are playing the style of ball that we are going to play in two years from now and three years from now and four years from now. And we have the guys here that will be on that team and we're getting those reps in now as opposed to if you're if you're a team like again, I'll refer back to the Hawks this year, and you're just going out there, and Trey Young looks around and be like, and and is like, well, what the fuck am I doing right now? Like this isn't, we're not progressing to something. And I don't, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't feel that way if I was like watching Atlanta every night, and I would, I would feel like they are, they were progressing. But it just everything I read out of there and whatnot, it just like that's. Do you see the discrepancy between those two things that I'm talking about? Or maybe I'm just living in a fantasy world where like what I want can't be achieved with what's going to be possible to put on this roster. I don't know. I see what you're saying. Again, I don't think that the the Hawks is really what I would hope for anyway. Um, I would love to see a few more veterans than the Hawks had. But it's this pushing and pulling of balancing your present with your future. Like, for example, if you had Jeremy Grant, right? And if he were to decline his player option and you said to him, Jeremy, we've got so much money to spend that we could give you a one-year deal that's a lot of money and you're back on the free agency market and, you know, that's that. And if he says, you know, I, I would rather 
because of course he could resign with the, the Nuggets in the situation. But hypothetically, if you were to present him with that opportunity and he said, you know, I can get paid next year too. I can also find a team when there's more cap space and I can find a team that I want to play with that's a winner. Uh, yeah, I could certainly do that. And then you're looking at that type of player who did a really good job with Denver, um, can afford to be here and is not locked under a long-term contract, which balances a lot of the other situations that we're talking about. So yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way where you can add good talent. Like the Knicks have so many issues that they can't all be addressed in one season, especially when the free agent crop is not very good. And there are just so many holes to begin with. So if you can start just with something of, um, you know, a quality ball handler who isn't going to be some sort of a question mark with adding spacing of some sort, whether it's at the two, three or four, um, if you can, you know, work on your young players developing a little bit further so they at least take a step forward. And some of them go from fringe NBA players to, hey, they actually belong in this league. Then you've got something cooking. So when I see something like Gallinari, that's that's my big concern. It's you're basically taking a situation where you have young players who are getting older and an older player who's very good, but he's potentially falling off. And I would just hate to see a situation where the Knicks could have had this option uh, because, again, who knows what's going to happen. But as of this moment, the Knicks are likely to have the second most cap space in the NBA in 2021. where yeah. Free agent crap, mar- cap crap market cap you know, free agents. <laughs> the free agent market is a lot better. Uh, yeah. The only team is the Spurs, and they really, other than cap space, don't have much. No, the the Knicks are look. They're well salary wise. They're incredibly well positioned. There's no there's no two ways about it. Right. So when you consider all of that, that's where I'm at with Gallinari, which is that it's not that he's a bad player. It's not that you couldn't get something of value for him. It's just what are you losing? And can't you find someone in between that low level and high level talent? And I think that if you play your cards right, even if it means some sort of draft compensation, which is not my preference, obviously, but it it can be found. Yeah. You know, um, as you're talking and I I, look, I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I I think it's, it's a little bit harder to find than what you're making it out to be. Um, I mean, of course, I'm just saying, there are a few options, and it really sure. takes one of those options. No, I, and I and I'm, I, but as you're talking, I'm, I'm looking up and down the list of teams, and I'm thinking about like situations where the type of thing. <laughs> this is funny. The type of thing that I'm I want has kind of happened in the past, where it's like a team is bad, but you look at them and you're like, oh, they're bad now, but they figured something out, and they're going to get there. And perhaps with the exception. Of the Nets, not last year, but two years ago. Um, do you remember that that Nets team? It was, I mean, it was essentially it was before they got. Or wait, no, maybe they maybe they had Russell um, already. Damari Carroll team. It was. The, I, I want to say they won twenty nine games. I'm going to look up uh, my 2000, 2018, 2000, no, I'm talking about 2017, Yeah. Um, NBA, did I get, I'm guessing 29. Let's see how close I was. That was the year they drafted Sexton and then the Knicks drafted Knox. So it had to have been 2017, 18. The Nets that year won 28 games. I was close. Okay. But like you heard people talk about the Nets that year. And even though their roster was, you know, at the time 
nobody looked at that roster and was like, oh, you know, there there are some future real core pieces here. They did have Jared Allen. They did have, yes, Damari Carroll. They did have Spencer Dinwiddie. They did have Joe Harris. They did have Karis LeVert. Like they had all of, like the Knicks have, well, in theory, like, and they had, oh, sorry, they did have D'Angelo Russell. They have like some of these levels of player where like, I feel like you could pull, you know, if you, hey, how about we just go get the guy who coached that year's Nets team and there's a better chance of pulling it off. Um, and, and, you know, to your point, like, other than Carol, right? All those guys were, were young. They didn't go out and get the older veteran. So, you know what? What the hell do I know? Um, maybe you're right. I, what I was going to say is all of talking about this and looking through examples of teams that have done this. Other than that Nets team, every team has had on their roster a guy who was going to be like the guy at some point. And all I've done in thinking about this and recording this podcast is talk myself into the idea of like, wow, I really kind of want to get LaMelo Ball on this team. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Go figure. All right. Um, With that, we have done what we always maybe don't think we're going to do. And actually we've, we've no, if you include our previous conversation, we've actually talked for an hour and 40 minutes. So (laughs) we've done our, we've done our work for this Sunday evening. Anything else you want to add before we get the hell out of here? Uh, no, I think we talked ourselves in circles. It was obviously a lot of fun, but this I, was uh, fun, and this was actually this is, therapeutic. This is exactly why the Knicks need a cap specialist because, <laughs> if like you know, I mean, listen, I'm going to email Larry Kuhn. I'm going to email him about this because yeah. I, I'm I really want to know for sure. But yeah. me too. Yeah, we'll see if he uh, we'll see if he responds. Uh, well, I mean, look, he's quarantined like the rest of us, so I'm sure, uh, I'm sure he has some some time on his hands. All right, I am going to go watch. Um, a movie with my wife to prepare for our upcoming podcast on uh, our wonderful uh, producer, Andrew Claudio's podcast, The Final Score. Go check that out if you have not already, in which we will be talking about um, the best actors of the last decade. I'm I'm thinking I'm going to suggest to my wife to watch The Place Beyond the Pines. Have you ever seen this movie? I've never seen it, but I, I know of it. It is a movie starring Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. Um, you're in? If this movie was Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper staring at a wall for two hours, would you, you'd still be in, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. That's glad we are all on the same page in the Macri household. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. What, what are you going to do with the rest of your evening, Jeremy? Um, might catch up on Schitt's Creek. The, okay. f- the series finale is this upcoming week. Might okay. see a movie. Uh, I saw Bombshell last night, which was really good. Great, uh, very enjoyable. Yeah. Yes, and I've also been watching. I'm two episodes into Tiger King, which is outrageous. I'm I'm not allowing. I'm not. I'm just. I'm not stepping foot near the rabbit hole. I'm just staying away. <laughs> so you can, you can, you can do the watching for the both of us. How about that? Sounds good. Oh, I will actually hold on before I. I'm going to give a, a quick plug. To uh, I did watch a movie last night. Uh, with my wife, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Which, if you have Hulu, it is available for free on Hulu. It also, um, I think you could just rent it um, through other services. Um, high, high, high recommendation. Uh, that is that is all I will say. Very, very good movie. Foreign movie, subtitles, the whole thing. But it's more than worth it. So, yeah. um, and on that note, all right, Jeremy, thank you as always for your um, diligent 
um, thoughtfulness that you bring to this podcast. And, and yours uh, as well. Everybody else out there, um, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We will be back with you with another episode uh, very soon.